Miller. On this week's episode of Tiger Turf Talk, we host Mr. Nick Pappas, the head groundskeeper and manager of conversions for Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode, we dive into everything that has to deal with the facility managing artificial turf at the highest level. Um, The reason that his job is so incredible is that he has so many opportunities to manage not just, again, MFL or MLS events, but so many more things in the community of Atlanta um, with his outdoor space, um, which sort of reflects on a parks and recreational scale um, where they host anything from Little League uh, flag football to movie nights for the community. Um, It was awesome to talk to him about what his path was to get to this point and how he was overqualified in a sense because of his work not just in professional sports but also in the areas of parks and rec and as well as the field construction side of things um he was incredible to talk to about again a facility that has a artificial turf field that is converted many times on a given week um and to hear what is necessary in order to be successful at that level um we can't thank him enough for the time. We had a blast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Tiger Turf Talk. Good afternoon and welcome to the 57th episode of Tiger Turf Talk. I'm your host, Drew Miller, with your co-host, Sam Rui. Today we have on an incredible guest. We have the head groundskeeper and conversions manager for the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Mr. Nick Pappas, and I'm sorry if I said that wrong. I, should, I probably should have asked you that before. <laughs> uh, nailed it, nailed it. Perfect. Oh, awesome, so, awesome. Thanks for having well, me. Well, we're really excited to have you on. Uh, you have a lot of crazy stuff going on right now with the NFL season, with MLS going on. Um, most recently, though, I kind of want to talk about this. You had the opportunity to head over to London. Uh, at, is it Tottenham? Am I saying that right? Yep. Um, yep. State-of-the-art facility constructed for what you did going over and hosting NFL games. Um, I sort of just want to hear what your journey was kind of like there, everything that you did, uh, just overall what that was like to see that facility. Because, again, the idea of what they constructed is still insane, uh, being able to have the natural grass field move in underneath the stadium and then have the NFL come in for those two weeks. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop talking. And if, if you could just give us what, what your experience was like, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, no, obviously, uh, you know, kudos to all of those guys over there, especially the the crew, um, Wayne and his crew, Darren, and the, the guys over there at Tottenham. Um, just a top-notch facility, top-notch crew. Um, it, it's definitely a, a state-of-the-art facility. Um, being able to see a, a full-pitch tray system get slid under, uh, you know, all the, the stands and then see the innovation that they have back there so that you can then have a, a synthetic field out. Uh, underneath it um certainly brilliant you know brilliant minds came together to build that place um and it was fun to see it all come come to reality obviously uh being in the industry and and you know keeping my finger on the pulse of stadiums and whatnot i remember when that one got built watched all the youtube videos and uh you know all the time lapse videos and stuff like that so it was definitely exciting for myself to be able to get out there grateful for the opportunity um, to get to check it out in person. Uh, when I got there, it, it did have the natural pitch out. So got to see that go in, got to see it in its, uh, its pitch pocket as they, uh, refer to the, the kind of the cave that it lives in. 
Um, and then obviously get to, you know, dig my hands into the, the synthetic field and get that ready for, uh, for my team. Obviously we were playing out there against the jets and then get to spend some time, uh, you know, flipping end zones and getting it ready for the Jags, uh, Jags dolphins game the, the second week. So good experience, plenty to learn. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a little, uh, spoiled working where I work. It's, it's hard to get really excited or, or wowed by a stadium now. Um, you know, when you, when you show up to Mercedes-Benz Stadium every day, you know, some of the other facilities out there, just they're just obviously not as new. There, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just, uh, you know, like I said, I'm spoiled. But going over there, uh, another, you know, beautiful brand-new facility, it definitely has that, that wow factor. Absolutely. Now, you went with the group. Um, with those guys, can you sort of talk about what it was like to be able to have, again, different sports turf managers come from different areas of our nation and their nation sort of come together and that sort of, again, being able to have that moment of, okay, we do the same thing, but it's in all these different places and be able to do it in this unique location. What was that sort of like? Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome environment. Um, you know, it's a lot of the same guys, and I've had the luxury to work with, with this same crew or many of the same people on this crew, um, guys and girls, I should say, because we've got both, um, you know, at Super Bowl. So I, I worked with a lot of the same crew at, at Super Bowl, Um and it's fun. You know, you got, you got individuals from the West coast, you got individuals from the South, you got individuals from, you know, the Northeast corner um, and kind of scattered throughout. And they've all been at different universities, different pro teams, different stadiums, different practice facilities. Um, so, you know, every, everyone's good at what they do. And when, when you get out there, everyone's got a good vantage point and there's plenty to learn at that point. Um, you know, some of these, some of these, these folks on the, on the crew have done, you know, they've done every single London game that's been out there since 2007. They've done the Mexico City games. Um, some of them have traveled to, to Tokyo for other types of exhibition football games. And, um, you know, obviously dozens and dozens of Super Bowls amongst their amongst their belt. So um, it's fun to be a part of it. It's good to, to chat with all these individuals and get a different perspective. There's always something to be learned. Um, there's always something to learn from the stories of, of the past years and the the past headaches or the past screw ups or the, you know, or the successes, whatever you want it to be. Um, it is fun. And then obviously going and, and chatting with, with people from another country uh, who are in the same profession um, and getting to swap stories and, and swap trades and things like that. It's there, there's so much to just be learned from, from each other. And uh, you know, obviously in, in, especially in England, they deal with a lot more hybrid systems than we have here in the States um, so getting to talk shop about that and walk on some of their hybrid pitches are awesome. And then, you know, they're looking at us kind of crazy sometimes with our synthetic fields um, and kind of leaning on us when, when they roll their pitch in, you know, they're kind of like, you know, how does this compare to your synthetic field? And, you know, you kind of get to, you know, give them some, some expertise on, on how it should be. And uh, it's good. Eventually everyone comes together as a team. And, and I think things went off without a hitch, um, you know, for, for a system that they have, a synthetic system that they have, uh, I think it looked as good as it could look given how it kind of lives underneath a, a natural field for a, an entire year before it gets kind of gets to breathe again. Um, but uh, it, it came together and, and you know, it was, it was a good good effort from all. Absolutely. Especially the year-long thing. You know, that's that's crazy. Two years in this case. I was going to say COVID had, had it kept under there, right? Yep, exactly. That is absolutely crazy. So you are the first uh, turf manager that we've had on that has an all artificial turf facility, um, which obviously there are reasons for and everything that goes into it. It's part of our industry, whether you want it or not, you know, Um, but with everything, 
at Mercedes Benz and with what you do, there are so many different things that happen on a day-to-day basis, just from following you on Twitter to hearing different events that go on. Cause it's, it's, it's not just a sports facility. It is so much more than that. Um, could you sort of discuss um, what it has been like for you? Again, it's the fourth year of the stadium. Am I wrong in saying that? Fifth, yeah, fifth. Fifth year. Okay, so I'm not far off. I thought I was going to be way off. I apologize. Going into fourth, yeah, no, yeah, fifth season. So yeah, fourth fifth year, it did 2017. So fifth season, gotcha. yeah. So sort of being, and it was really that first one that was the big epicenter of again big time sports having two majorly or uh, two professional sports going on with everything. What has that been like yeah. for you, and how has it sort of changed over those first few years? Um. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'll kind of start because, you know, you'd asked me a question previously before we got going, you know, what, what brought me to the stadium and, and I'm referencing it because you, you mentioned, you know, it's a, an all synthetic, uh, facility. Um, well, what brought me here was actually natural grass. Um, so outside exterior of the building where, where the dome used to sit, where the old facility was, uh, we now have, uh, an 11 acre park. Um, and with that park is, you know, a lot of square footage of, pavers, a lot of square footage of landscape, but we have four and a half acres of Bermuda grass as well. Um, and that's what really brought me to the stadium initially was my expertise to be able to grow Bermuda grass under high traffic environments. Um, and our space exterior of the building is just that it's an event space that functions as a, as a park. It functions for youth sports. It functions as tailgating for parking uh, on game day. It functions as a concert space. It functions as a, as a carnival space. Um, you name it, it, it becomes it. So that's kind of what brought me here. And obviously that's been my focus in my career. Uh, you know, 99% was, was natural grass. Um, and then coming here, I was able to kind of, you know, swing that expertise that I have in natural grass. And then a lot of my project management um, from working, you know, throughout South Florida, building fields and things like that. Um, you know, I was able to kind of bring that inside the building uh, and ultimately take over the the whole synthetic field and, and kind of our whole operation um, as far as our, our event conversions go from a, a field and, and, you know, stadium component. Um, so it's, you know, like you said, we're, we're kind of one of the, we're definitely not the first to do it. There's other stadiums similar. Um, obviously we talked about uh, the, what was the Mercedes Benz Superdome. I think it's now Caesars palace uh, in, in new Orleans. That's a place that kind of gets every big, event, uh, in, in the world. Um, you know, you look at Seattle and you look at new England, those are, those are facilities that are doing NFL and MLS. Um, but you know, we've kind of been able to put it all together between the retractable roof, um, you know, a, a world-class facility. Um, and then, you know, obviously we've got the, the synthetic field. We're able to bring in everything from monster jam to concerts to NFL to MLS, um, Super Bowl. Uh, we were planning Final Four up until uh, COVID came and canceled that just a, a couple of days before we were ready to start loading in the building. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it, it's, you know, we definitely see everything that can get thrown from conventions. You know, I've got flag football out there today. Um, tomorrow I'll be setting up because we've got a, a 5K road race on Saturday that ends at the 50. Um, so, I mean, the idea is that the facility never stops. It's always open and we're always, you know, got people coming through the doors. Um, and we, we try to operate that way. Um, and it's, it's been exciting. It's been frustrating. It's been challenging. It's been, uh, you know, every emotion in between, um, it's been it, uh, but ultimately it's, it's pretty rewarding too, at the same time. Absolutely. What is the, I, there was a name and I was going to ask you about, it. I didn't write it in the notes or anything, but 
it was like the Home Depot backyard or something. And yep. I was going to yep. say so what that, else you were covering, but you just definitely said it all. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, that. that's 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 the facility outside. It's the the Home Depot backyard is our uh, our corporate sponsor. Um, which is a fitting sponsor. Our, our ownership was uh, the same gentleman, Arthur Blank, who founded uh, the Home Depot or co-founded the Home Depot. Nice. Um, so they're one of our, our main sponsors and that, that's our exterior space. And like I said, that kind of functions as another event space for all of our fans that come to the building. A lot of the times it's tied into what might be going on inside the building, whether it's a tailgating or whether the, maybe a 5K starts out there or whatever it is. Um, you know, or it can function completely independently and we could have an event out there and an event inside the building at the same time. So um, it's just another space for us to be able to bring fans in and, and give them an experience and uh, generate revenue, give back to the community. Uh, a lot of what we try and do out there is actually um, free events for the community. So we'll try and close it down and sell ticketed events on certain days, generate revenue, and then take that revenue and put it back into an event um, that will promote and give back to the community for free. So it's just a free, you know, you pretty much walk up with your kids and come on in for a carnival, or we've got like a Halloween fest coming up soon, which is usually like a drive-in movie um, and kind of like a, you know, trick or treat kind of thing. Um, so we, we try to do that throughout the year as well and give back to the, the people here in Atlanta. That's awesome. That's great. It's a great setup. Um, you were talking about a little bit how it sort of brought, what brought you to, Atlanta with the facility and your former experience of creating fields and what and building fields and whatnot. Um, could you sort of discuss some of your past experiences that prepared you again, what's not really just a turf management job, but a stadium operations, absolutely insanity, left, right, center, whatever it is that goes along with what you do. Cause again, it's, it's fascinating with all the stuff that you do. Um, so if you could sort of talk about some of the past that prepared you for this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I studied turf management and uh, got my degree, uh, got a bachelor's in plant, soil, and insect sciences at University of Massachusetts. Um, and, you know, one of my internships late in, uh, in college, I think it was going into my senior year, was with the Washington Nationals in D.C. on their, on their baseball field. And, um, you know, previously I'd done golf, I'd done residential, I'd done landscaping, um, thought I was going to go towards golf. And then, uh, you know, I stepped out on, on the Nats field. And, um, that was kind of it for me. Like I knew I wanted to be in, in sports turf. Um, so when I got out of, you know, when I graduated, I was, it was starting a job hunt and uh, I landed a job with the Miami dolphins down at what was sun life stadium. It's now hard rock stadium. It, it looks a little different uh, than it did back in 2012. Um, but, uh, that kind of started the voyage, um, went down there and worked, worked with the dolphins and got a taste of, you know, multi-use facility. They obviously do a ton of events, um, they've got, you know, a, a bit of a different kind of system on how they do things. You're doing a lot of land play and, and swap out of sod on logos and things like that, switching back and forth from university of Miami to, uh, to the dolphins. Um, they do a lot of concerts there. They get a lot of international soccer matches. Um, just to, I mean, talk about a world-class facility. They're, they're one of the leaders in so many ways, especially with what they've done exterior of the building with their tennis courts and F1 track and all that. Um, they're really, there, there's some leaders, you know, similar to us, um, in, in doing some of those things, trying to pioneer the, the event space. Um, so got a good taste of it there and then, uh, managed to get on, uh, you know, game, game crew, essentially, uh, most places would call it tarp crew, but, uh, Miami Marlins opened up a brand new stadium with a, with a roof. And I think I only pulled the tarp in that place once or twice in the six seasons I was there. So, um, you know, that was, I just want to take a moment to clap for that. Cause that is nearly impossible in the MLB from my experience. Yep. 
once every yep. two or three days. Pretty good, you know? <laughs> so good for yeah. you. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, go ahead. So, uh, another oh, apologies. Uh, I've got, um, I've got uh, yeah. motion sensor. Yeah, man. Go ahead. We're good. Awesome. Um, so yeah, you know, working at the Marlins for six seasons, um, that kind of, you know, that, that really, really sunk me into to the sports surf world and getting another, uh, you know, another venue under my belt and kind of seeing how things are ran, um, learned a lot from those guys working, you know, a ton of games and concerts and, and different types of events down there. Um, you know, but I was still, you know, a little bit of, of quote unquote part-time, uh, at both stadiums. This was pre, uh, a, Affordable Care Act, so pre Obamacare, where you know when I was at the Dolphins, I could work as many hours as I wanted, and um, you know they could keep me part time without offering benefits and things like that. And eventually, something had to give, so I, you know, I kind of had to find a, a full time job that was going to be able to give me health benefits and things like that. And um, I ended up with a, a company called Green Source Landscape and Sports Turf, and, and we serviced all of South Florida, kind of up to the Orlando area, um, everything from renovation to maintenance and growings uh, on natural grass surfaces. Um, we did not do any synthetic fields or anything like that, uh, unless they were within a park and rec facility that we were, you know, currently maintaining. Um, so, you know, I started doing a lot of renovations and saw jobs and doing a lot of consulting work across South Florida for a lot of counties and school districts, um, colleges, and, and really anyone who was in our area. Um, and that all, you know, it kind of all came together, the business side, the, the project management side, the personnel management side, you know, managing crews, um, understanding what it's like working at the professional level, understanding what it's like working at the, at the parks and rec level. Um, and I really was able to tailor, you know, my resume to kind of be a bit of a perfect storm for this, this facility with, with the business side being such a, a big avenue here, um, you know, having to understand that side and, and be able to, to maintain a surface that can really it's really an event surface first um, that we try and play football and, and soccer on, um, you know, coupled with, with the experience of being able to maintain a facility outside. Uh, it it kind of just was, was a bit of the perfect fit for myself. At least I felt so at the time. And uh, I think I probably thought I knew more coming in and then got here and realized I had a lot to learn. Um, and, you know, you kind of end up learning a lot quickly uh, once you start going. So. Yeah, when when he asked you uh, what really drove you to take that job and go to that stadium with an artificial turf field, you kind of got me when you said uh, this is actually the turf because I had never thought about like the outside of the stadiums. It's just kind of eye opening, and uh, you made it sound like it's even harder to manage it out there with all the traffic and events outside more than if it was just you know the regular games on the inside, like. So how do you, how long does that surface last? Well, we have not swapped that surface out. Um, it's, uh, it, it gets pretty beat up come December um, just because we get into bowl season and we end up with different, uh, we end up with multiple college games plus NFL, uh, maybe some lingering MLS. Um, weather starts to get cold, really starts to slow down, depends if we overseed it or not. Um, but the exterior surface, uh, we've had it since it was installed. It's it's all Tiff Tough Bermuda. Um, it was a, a pretty good design. Um, drains well. We've got a, a great irrigation system. Um, you know, we've really got what we need. It's just uh, trying to keep it, you know, keep it happy under that much 
foot traffic and vehicle traffic. I mean, we'll park about 500 cars on it, any given, any given football or, or soccer match or, or concert. Um, but it, it's no doubt uh, a, a difficult task. Now we're obviously trying to maintain it to a level that's acceptable for maybe youth sports and things like that. So it's not quite to the same level of collegiate playing field or, or a, you know, an NFL field. Um, but it's, it's 500 cars on it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. if you're having 500 cars on it on a weekly basis, if you can get yeah. it to youth playing, that's amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's why, I mean, you know, we, we strive for safety first, obviously for, for any youth sports coming in or anything. And then obviously aesthetics is a big thing. So we try to keep it looking as good as possible. Um, but it's definitely challenging. And that was one of the things that, you know, I wanted to take on when, when they presented the project to me and told me what, you know, what I'd have to manage it, it, the challenge is what really drove me to say, yeah, let's, let's give it a try. I think I can do it. I've managed a lot of, uh, a lot of surfaces under a lot of traffic. I figured, you know, this would really be the ultimate test. Um, and then, you know, I, I get a similar type, uh, inside the building with, with just how much traffic we put on our, on our synthetic surface. So, um, but it's definitely, uh, I think everybody was always, I think a lot of people were surprised when I, when I took the, the gig, I was definitely one of the, uh, probably one of the, the anti-plastic guys out there in the industry, um, you know, that, that felt like synthetic didn't have its, its place uh, in, in our industry. Um, I think I, I think I just am a little bit more educated on, on everything now, um, you know, so I think everything might have its have its place. It just depends on on what your business model is and what your needs are and what your wants are. Um, but it's uh, it's been a good good experience nonetheless. That's that's all interesting. Um, let's transition inside the stadium. Uh, so, can you maybe explain if there's anything unique about your playing surface? And also, the same question that I just asked: How long does that last on the inside? Yeah, so our surfaces, um, we've got a, uh, the manufacturer of our, our services, Field Turf. Um, we've got their core system, um, and it basically is all rubber sand infilled. Uh, it's 100% monofilament fiber, and it sits on top of their versatile, uh, it's like a drainage mat. Um, and then that sits on top of porous asphalt. So we, we've got basically just a road underneath our surface uh, with under drains. Um, and that allows us to be able to stay completely flat, um, have amazing drainage. We can play with the roof open and take on rain if we want. Uh, most of the time we play with the roof closed, uh, but it allows us to constantly be, you know, painting logos, rinsing them out, washing them out, drenching them down, trying to vacuum out paint uh, and do what we need to do to be able to host both sports. Um, and our current model is we were set up for an every two year swap. So to play two seat or play two years and then swap out the field. Uh, we're currently on year three on the existing field and I've got it scheduled to swap out uh, the end of January. So we're coming up on a, on a replacement soon. So with that, and again, the conversion manager is such a huge aspect of what you do. Um, we actually had the privilege, our students actually were contracted to uh, convert an MLS at Audi into a XFL right like the week before COVID hit. Yep. So it was a great opportunity for them and they got to do it. There are so many different things that go into that. And the fact that artificial, there's a whole cleaning aspect. Um, what is it that you're doing again, cleaning, moving that again, that rubber, all the sand and everything around while you're cleaning. What is it that you're doing to ensure that you're meeting those standards of the NFL and the MLS 
for those players again I mean, you're, it seems like you're doing it every other day going from NFL to MLS, yeah. you know? So how are you ensuring the playability and what practices are you using uh, for, again, a lot of artificial turf managers out in the world that really don't know that they're artificial turf managers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look like anything. Um, and I've kind of stressed this too, because I've got a lot of guys on the crew that this is sometimes their first artificial surface that they've worked on. Um, if you've got an understanding of how, how a natural grass surface should play, um, I think you can transition a lot of that to a synthetic surface, understanding, uh, planarity, understanding, um, you know, field hardness and just consistencies, things like that is going to go a long way in, in any, in any athletic field. So for us, obviously we're constantly kind of, um, you know, we'll paint, uh, say a soccer pitch, we'll paint it. And then we've got to, you know, remove the lines. We've got some machines that we use. Those are going to disturb your infill and, and kind of, leave some areas softer than others. So then it's about trying to get back to consistency. And, and so much of that is just being able to do certain practices, such, you know, just really a lot of grooming practices. Um, but it's really, you know, understanding what your surface is. Everyone's surface reacts a little bit. Um, you know, myself and my crew, we can walk out there and kind of know, do we need to put rakes out here? Do we need to put tines out here? Do we need to bring a roller out? Is it just a carpet drag? Is it a carpet drag with weights? Is it, you know, one of our more aggressive drags? Is it a Sports champ is it you know a laymore that's coming out here um you know we're lucky to have a lot of different tools in our inventory um and you know we come out and assess it in between every game before every game after every game um and we know what we're trying to get back to now obviously we've worked a lot with manufacturers and in, in making sure that we've got fibers that are ideal for both football and soccer an infill uh ratio that's good for both um football and soccer you know so those are some of the things that that are the pre-planning stages and um, you know, we're, we're able to have all that. And then as long as we do our job, we can perform for, for both teams and both sports. They're talking about the practices and how you maintain it. What is the most difficult challenge you face throughout the season? And then what are the practices you would do for that challenge? Um, for us, as the season goes on, it's a lot of paint management. So with the amount of football games that we paint, um, you know, it, it affects both and obviously aesthetics. Um, if we're painting a, a Falcon logo at midfield and we're racing it, you know, every week to try and put out a soccer pitch, eventually, you know, you're only sucking up so much of that paint and actually physically removing it. The rest of it's going down. It's trying to percolate through the infill. You're hoping you can get it down deep enough um, while hopefully not over soaking your, you know, your midfield. Um, you don't want that logo coming back up in the middle of a soccer match. And all of a sudden it looks like you got a Falcons game out there. Um, but that's just the aesthetic side. So, I mean, that's what people are going to comment on when they're watching the game, which is important to me, but less important than if my midfield starts to become too hard because I've got too much paint buildup. So we're constantly trying to vet and say, look, do we need to remove infill? Do we need to spend extra time cleaning? Do we have a window to spend extra time cleaning? Um, you know, do we need to bring in different equipment? Do we need to remove infill and, and re-top dress with fresh infill? Um, you know, we're looking at all those things, but that, that typically becomes our biggest headache is just trying to maintain, uh, surface consistently while constantly removing and adding paint. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of time throughout the week to spend on our, on our field, which, you know, maybe is contrary to popular belief. Um, you know, you, most people would think, oh, well, you don't have to mow it. You don't have to fertilize it. You don't have to water it. Um, you know, we do water it. We do maintain certain moisture levels and keep consistency out there. Uh, we do have to clean it. We do have to groom it. Um, you know, if we don't do those things, it becomes what everyone thinks synthetic turf is, which is, a, a, you know, an unsafe, poor playing surface. If we do it the right way, well, then 
you know, our field's going to hold up amongst just about any field in the NFL. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more on the, the knowledge, again, understanding like there is a way to have it just as safe as a natural grass playing surface. It's just most turf managers don't want to see that, you know, sure. <laughs> they yeah. see the high yeah. school that never touched it for seven years and are like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, yeah. um, yep. with everything, and you sort of discussed how, again, you were that guy who was like, well, it's really not a place in the NFL and whatnot. And your time there, what has been your favorite part about sort of getting to know your facility and getting to know the job where you're at, where again, there's so much more to it than anyone ever really sees. And that's really any sports turf manager, but with you, what has been your favorite part about sort of the job there? Um, you know, just the ability to be part of so many different events um, on a daily basis. I mean, I do really enjoy the event world. Uh, I do really enjoy the business side of, of this turf industry. Um, so getting to be a part of, you know, SEC championship and uh, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl as a, as a you know, as a, play, a playoff, being able to be part of Super Bowl um, here in Atlanta, um, some of the concerts we've done, self-produced concerts, um, some of the smaller events, you know, there's corporate events that we have that, that add all kinds of different curveballs to us. Um, you know, I think one thing is, you know, anybody could come here and in, in one or two years, you're going to get an unbelievable amount of experience working in a facility like this that you could take and, and spread that knowledge to so many different other venues anywhere else you go. Um, so I think I've just really enjoyed that aspect. Obviously, um, you know, being a part of the NFL is a lot of fun. Uh, if you're a football fan, being part of the MLS is a lot of fun. You know, getting to work at that pro level is always exciting. Um, but I think for me, at the end of the day, being able to come to a building that's so innovative and uh, constantly wants to push the envelope and say, Hey, look, this is what we want to do. We want to host, you know, you know, for, for instance, next weekend, we've got, we've got soccer on Saturday at, at 1 PM or pardon me, 6 PM. We've got football on Sunday at 6 P at 1 PM. And then we've got, uh, we've got a load in for a concert that night. Um, you know, so that, that's a big star on our calendar and, and it's, it's part of the challenge is, is the exciting part. Um, you know, it's grueling. The guys kind of hang their heads looking forward to it. But then as we get closer, everyone kind of perks up and we've got a game plan. Um, you know, being part of that, that rush, if you will, um, of, of coming in and trying to do more than anyone does anywhere else. Um, you know, I think that's, that's the rewarding. That's the exciting part about this building. Best of luck on that night. Jeez. <laughs> Thanks. I didn't, you got like bed set up anywhere? Like <laughs> uh, we do the local, we do the local hotel thing. We nod off in chairs. I fall asleep at my desk. Uh, we try to stay on our feet so that doesn't happen. Um, my, mine yeah. was the back of a, a Toro uh, workman. There you, you know, go. Yep, put, yep. put a cocoa mat out and everything. Yeah. Make sure back I the see. other one back the other one yep. up to it. You know, just you have both like it's like a queen size bed, just a little bit more narrow. You know? Yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> I know a couple suites to go uh go lay down in and you know, hopefully housekeeping doesn't come in and disrupt your two hours of, of um, <laughs> do, yeah. do not disturb sign on the suite. That's normal, right? <laughs> exactly, right? Oh, for sure. So with everything, and you were talking about this before, sort of where you found it um, with golf and that, that was the road you were taking and you found sports turf here in DC area. Um, what has it been that sort of brought you to turf and to sort of pursue a, a degree in it? You know, it's, we have a program here where we have a lot of kids that are introduced to it for the first time. Um, and I'm always curious how people find it. Cause the way I found it was very weird and crazy with, being in a 
biology classroom and my former teacher went to tech and he was like, Hey, there's a thing for grass. I'm like, yeah, right. What, what are you talking about? You know, um, what was that for you and how did you find uh, your way into this industry? I, I mean, I, I wish there was a class that I took that I took that someone would have told me about it. So, I mean, I was, you know, probably your, your pretty stereotypical high school kid. Um, not exactly excited about four more years of schooling. Um, you know, kind of unsure what I was going to do with my life. Uh, played a lot of sports all through high school. Um, and then I, I worked as much as I could through high school too. In my, you know, my junior, senior year, I was able to have uh, some decent time off uh, the way my, like my schedule and credits were set up through high school. Um, and I just, I had started working at a supermarket and I think I worked there like 10 months and had kind of had enough of, of getting carriages in the parking lot and uh, ringing up groceries and, I was like, dad, I can't do this. He's like, all right, well go find yourself something else. And I found a landscaping job, um, liked working outside, liked the physicality of it. Um, that seemed to just be a good job, still lost in kind of what I was going to do next. And I, you know, I had a family member that was like, oh, you know, I, I know someone who, who went to school to, to do landscaping on golf courses. And, uh, that was kind of my first introduction, uh, that spawned into sports turf or that spawned into, you know, turf management. And then, I started to try and figure out, all right, well, what schools have turf management? Um, and being from New England, uh, you know, UMass was, a, was an easy choice. I went and visited the school, applied to one college. That was UMass, applied for their, their turf program, got in and ended up, ended up there. And the rest has kind of been history. That's interesting because if, if we didn't have a, a high school turf program, I have no idea how anyone else would find it. Because not a lot of people are just thinking, uh, I want to go to college for turf. That's, that's good. Yeah. Like a landscaping, joining the crew is kind of the only way I see people could go in. Yeah. It's so, a uh, target. Yeah. So how have you used your educational background for your role as a turf grass manager? Uh, she's in every way possible, really. I mean, obviously, when you're you know spending time studying something as specific as, as turf grass management, and then you get out and you get thrown into the world of trying to manage high traffic fields. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to lean back on what you learned in the books. Um, so for me, it was, it was well worth it because I was able to come out with a good understanding, a good foundational understanding of, of how to grow grass. Um, you know, that was a step up for me, especially anywhere I went, I was able to speak knowledgeably about the plan. I was able to, you know, uh, assess what was going on on any field or pitch that I went out on. Um, so for me, that educational part was, was huge as I've continued in my career, I'd say I've, I've gotten further away from using my degree. Um, just because of the fact that I think as you grow in this industry, um, you know, as you grow from a second assistant to an assistant uh, to, you know, a head groundskeeper, superintendent somewhere, um, a lot of your job becomes looking at, at budgets and personnel management and project management and, um, you know, kind of that aspect. Um, so, you know, my days are, are still go out and assess the grass outside. Let me go walk the field and assess the stadium field. Um, but so much of my day is also spent uh, you know, scheduling the crew, making sure we've got enough people on staff, understanding my budget, trying to get uniforms, trying to get equipment, uh, trying to think about our, you know, capital expenditures for next year, a five-year capital expenditure plan, 
um, you know, taking inventory of product and paint and whatever else we might need on the shelves. Um, those are the things that, you know, even a business track turf management degree lacks a little bit. Um, so I think those are just the things you have to kind of continue to self-teach a bit when you get out. Um, I, I would say, I would say, unfortunately, I'm not, you know, maybe I don't have to revert to my degree as much anymore. Um, but there was definitely a point when I first came out where I felt like, okay, everything I learned in school is the biggest part of my job right now. And now I look at it and, you know, the biggest part of my job, as much as I wish it was maintaining, the business, uh, it, it, there's so much more to it. And that's really the easy part for me now is, is maintaining both the synthetic surface and the grass. The rest of it's all from a management perspective is really what, you know, what I have to constantly spend my efforts on. The rest of it's chaos, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully uh, organized ho- Hopefully, I was going to say hopefully organized chaos. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yep, for sure. Um, with everything, again, coming from the education and coming up, you know, you've worked for a few guys, again, that are sort of been in this industry for a while. Have there been any mentors for you that have had a major impact on how you got to this point and how you've been able to conduct yourself now as, again, more of an operations manager than anything else? Yeah, you know, um, I think everyone is a mentor in their own way. Um, At least you should be able to look at everyone in a similar light. Uh, Good bosses, bad bosses, uh, friendly bosses, miserable bosses, um, they'll all teach you something. Um, You know, the the bosses you dislike the most are probably going to teach you the most um, because they're going to teach you how, you know, how you feel not to be treated or or how you might want to change things. Um, and then obviously there's guys who are exceptional leaders that, that you're going to take away a lot from. Uh, and I've had the ability to work, to work for both. Um, you know, I, I've enjoyed most of the, the guys I've worked under, um, you know, John Turnauer at the nationals, he's still, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to consider him a good friend at this point. Uh, we still keep up, keep in touch pretty regularly. Um, you know, I try to, I try to shoot him a message as frequently as I can. Uh, in my opinion, he's still got one of the best surfaces in sports, um, he's been a big mentor to me and just, you know, he, he seems to have, have done it right. So I, I kind of tried to model the way I carried myself a little bit after him. Um, you know, we're, I, I had great time spending six seasons under Chad Mulhall and down at the Marlins, uh, another, another good friend that I still keep in, in touch with. Um, you know, the, all those guys are going to shape, you know, how you are and, and how you become a, a manager. And then, you know, the best part is you get to pick all their best traits and you get to forget all their worst traits too. And, and put those aside and, and kind of cultivate how you want to act and how you want to treat people. And, um, you know, that's the, that's the fun part is, is becoming that. But, um, you know, I also don't believe that your mentors need to be guys that, you know, are, are your bosses. You know, there's people in other departments that I look up to and, and, and learn a lot from, um, you know, there's people I've never met that I consider mentors, you know, whether it's authors or, uh, or people out there in, in different industries. Um, you know, you can draw a lot of good experience and a lot of motivation and, lesson learned from a lot of different people out there. So it's kind of just constantly keeping your mind open to education. I love that take on it. You know, the whole concept of someone else you don't know. Uh, so yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Never thought of it that way, but that's awesome. Yeah. Um, with everything and you've been in so many different areas, again, of just the sports surf industry. And you said, again, it's sort of tailor made for the role there. Um, what has been some of the, biggest changes you've seen in our industry because again you're again rather young compared to most nfl managers you know that have been in this for a while 
I used to work for Chris up in Pittsburgh. He's now with Chad Price down in Carolina. Yep. But with everything, what have you seen change and what has been a good change, slash bad change, whatever you think or whatever you want to talk about in our industry as sports turf managers? Well, you know, obviously I think there's there's been a, a positive change in how far synthetic fields have come. Um, whether you like them or you don't, I think it's hard to argue that. We're seeing the injury rate numbers go down. We're seeing the consistency numbers go up. Uh, we're seeing better feedback, which which is all positive, right? Um, it's a positive for, for our end user. Um, what we need to remember is as turf managers, as much as we want the field to be about what we do to it or the golf course or whatever, it's not about us. We're, we're trying to service something for somebody. Um, so my end user is the player, whether it's the, the soccer player, whether it's the football player, whether it's the, the kid out there right now playing flag football. Um, so I think it, it's a positive, in my opinion, that synthetic turf has come as far as it has. Um, you know, in, in the same time, I've seen the lay and play world of, of natural grass skyrocket. Um, you know, I got introduced to it 10 years ago. Uh, it was not quite in its infancy, um, but I've seen some individuals come on the scene and, and make a dent since some of the original players were, were doing the lay and play thick, uh, thick cut sod grown on plastic. That's been a game changer for our industry. Um, and it's definitely improved the quality of the surfaces that we have week in and week out in the NFL. Um, you know, there's been a lot of innovation in the, in the hybrid pitch systems, which is cool. We're seeing a lot of hybrid carpet pitch systems. Um, you know, the innovation is one thing that that's come a long way, both in natural grass, hybrid systems and synthetic, uh, just in the, the last 10 years. Um, and obviously we've seen it on the equipment side too. We've seen a lot of cool pieces of equipment come to, come to market, the universe rotor on the coral machines, the, you know, the air two G two machines, um, dry jack, wet jack. There, there's a lot of cool stuff out there that are, you know, really giving a lot of us turf managers and field managers, a lot of, um, a lot of tools to be able to do what we do. You know, the, the biggest machine that I use is the, the P-Rex inside the building. It's a paint removal and extraction machine built by Pioneer. It's essentially a, a zero turn hustler mower um, fabricated to be able to, you know, vacuum and scrub paint off of a synthetic field. Um, without that, you know, myself, Gillette, um, Lumen Field out in Seattle, we, we maybe don't do what we do, at least not nearly as well without that machine. Um, you know, so the innovation I think is great because it shows that the market's growing. It shows that the expectations are continuing to rise. Um, you know, if you watch videos of Super Bowl fields from 30 years ago to 20 years ago to 10 years ago, it's crazy. I think I, you know, even baseball fields, I think I watched like an ESPN classic game, of like a baseball field back from like 2003, which isn't that long ago. At least I didn't think it was that long ago. And, you know, now I realize it's, you know, almost 20 years ago. Always, um, it's always that, Oh man, this, this isn't close anymore. <laughs> it's brutal, right? So, you know, you look back and, and what was a great field. Then you look at it now and you're like, man, that field just doesn't, that doesn't look as good as it, as it should, but it just goes to show that how far our quality of products have gone, whether it be fertilizer, seed, mowers, uh, you know, cultivars of, of Bermuda grasses, things like that. Um, everything has seemed to have gone up in the industry in the last decade, two decades, um, which is really a really a good thing. Uh, sadly, I, I fear that the interest from students is, is going down. Um, so kudos to, to you guys on, on doing this and spreading the word for the turf managers out there and getting, getting young individuals involved. Um, I, I think that may be where we're struggling a bit. 
Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's my synopsis on it is, is just innovations continue to soar and it's only given us better results, better quality fields um, throughout the entire industry. Couldn't agree with you more, especially when you were talking about 20 years ago. I mean, I think it was Minnesota, uh, the twins that still had it, but the old three river field was literally like a carpet on yeah, concrete. Yeah. There wasn't, there wasn't anything between it. It was just carpet. And it was like, Hey, yep. this is normal. You know, like, Oh yeah. man, yeah, how days, times have changed. The, the true, you know, AstroTurf kind of gets the bad rap, even though they're a company that's definitely uh, made efforts to flex at the times as well. But the old AstroTurf fields and the old synthetic fields were, I mean, they were, they were bad. It was carpet on, on concrete and they were rock hard and guys were getting yeah. completely burned up and there's still, you know, don't get me wrong. There's still some of that everywhere, but um, you know, the systems have come a long way, but, but even, you know, natural grass fields have come so far with sod grown on plastic and, you know, people, you know, 419 and they start using, uh, you know, Northbridge or they start using Celebration or Tiff Tough or Latitude or Tahoma. I mean, there's so many good grasses out there now that are giving guys options based on, you know, where their their specific site is, uh, what their climate is. And they've got options other than just one or two different strands of grass that's just going to get destroyed. Absolutely. We're talking to Tony up in Philly. You know, he's got the Tahoma and then switches into yep. bluegrass. Like, that's crazy to me. It's brilliant. it's brilliant, but no one would ever think of it. Yeah. You know, like, well, I'm not going to do that. That would be crazy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so, we're yeah. going into week seven. I don't even know if those guys have put any sod down on their field yet. And we're heading into... I think this was week seven. Yeah. You know, it just goes to show that, you know, they're educating themselves, you know, Tony and Eddie, those guys do a great job up there. They're educating themselves to say, you know, what's new to market, where can we improve and how can we be better? And they're putting out a better field just because they're paying attention to the innovation that's out there. And I think that's, what's incredible about, uh, again, sports turf managers now at that level, you know, the, the research they're doing while being again, a full-time sports, Force turf manager at the NFL level, you know, having the opportunity to say, okay, well, I want to check this out. I'm going to put this on an area on our practice facility. You know, we can see what happens, how it does. Yep. Uh, I think I was, it might be, I forget who I'm talking about. Travis Hogan. He has uh fine fescue in his overseed mix. Like yep. no one would think of that. You know, he's like, I got a shade issue over here. Why don't I try it? You know? And yeah. he does it. Yeah. He apparently he brought that over from golf, but seeing all these different yep. things were, you're, you're truly trying to be your own turf manager and not just following the plan that everybody does, you know? And again, nothing yeah. against it. Obviously, it was created for a reason, but I love how people are testing it and being methodical about what they're doing to yeah. make it better, you know? Because a lot of people don't the, see that, you know? Yeah. And the, the best guys in the industry are the guys who are understanding that their site is different from everyone else's site. Their site's different from the other side of their parking lot. Um, you know, everything's different. Everyone's got different shade issues and you know whatever you know i i keep staring at that that uh austin fc jersey you got hanging behind you um and you know uh weston's a, a buddy of mine and uh luke bentley the the stadium groundskeeper for austin fc he he worked with me here at mercedes-benz for a bit um you know a couple phenomenal groundskeepers down there and those guys have challenges of their own they've got all kinds of shade issues and you know they've got uh past palm grown in their place trying to make it all work and you know, nobody can walk in there and tell them what they should or shouldn't be growing. Only those guys know what's going to work in their facility or, or what doesn't work in their facility. Um, and it's on them to figure it out. And that's exactly what guys like them are going to do. Uh, and that that's why this industry's you know, pretty fun and pretty cool is because every facility is a little bit different. And when we all get together and talk, 
it's crazy to see just how different everyone's sight is. Absolutely. And with Weston, everything he was talking about, like leading up to it, figuring out what's what and what do we go this way? Bermuda's not going to do great because there's literally shade 24 seven and all of that again is just incredible to me because again, we're, we're trying to do that at our own, in our own right. In a sense, uh, we have five different Bermuda grasses on our facility. All our practice fields are different because we want our kids to see and sort of understand. Yep. Uh, we've done things where we did dormant springing trials for a company to sort of see if it would fit their practices. So like different timings of going in, what would work for them? How can they make money off of the fact, okay, we can use the cold uh, time frame that we usually are not working and actually save time if people aren't using a field or whatnot, you know? Um, right. We're actually hoping to build a research center here at Brentsville just to sort of, again, add another aspect to educate our students on, you know, giving them the opportunity to see that side of everything. I think Chase Straw was the one that we had on who's like the next level of like research that you don't really think about as a turf manager, adding the athletes and understanding the players and if he could yeah. do that at NFL level, that'd be crazy, you know, with everything he's yeah. trying to do, interacting with the field, not just injuries, you know. Um, yeah, well, Chase's some of Chase's work is, um, I mean, I I think Chase's work is some of the most important out there, especially when you're looking at his research on the edge effect, and you know, basically boiling it down to consistency is so imperative across an athletic field surface, um, regardless of if it's natural grass, if it's synthetic. If it's good or if it's bad, if it's all good, great. If it's all bad, that that's almost as acceptable because the body reacts and the player's mindset starts to react to what the surface is. Um, so, you know, guys, guys like Chase who are doing amazing research like that, those are the guys who are going to continue to help our, our industry innovate. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Um, especially, I love the two opposites. It's okay if it's all bad, so they know it. But if it's half and half, they're going to not know where to be ready for what, you know? Exactly, Uh, exactly. I love it. Um, With everything, we we ask this question uh, pretty regularly because it's always interesting to hear what people say. Um, Being that you've been a tenured groundskeeper, not just, again, at Mercedes, but everywhere, if there was one thing that you could tell yourself... Again, not to make things easier or anything along those lines, just that you wish you knew at the very beginning, what would that be and why? Um, probably, uh, you know, honestly, I, there, there's nothing I would change, right? Because I'm, I'm happy with where I've gotten to. I'm happy with the timeline it's taken me. Um, I'm grateful for my good and bad experiences up to this point. Um, but there's definitely uh, a level of patience that you need to, you need to learn early on. I was definitely one of those guys out of school, uh, eager to take on eager to take on more eager to learn more. Um, and just eager to make the jump, right. Everyone wants to come out of school. And, and, and unfortunately I think a lot of guys who go to school for this and, and, you know, you study for two years, get your associate, you do two more years, you get your bachelor's. I mean, I think you come out, I think they almost imprint this expectation in your head that like, you're going to come out and you're going to be a, a superintendent in no time. You're going to be a head groundskeeper in no time. Um, you know, there's these fallacies of you're going to make six figures in no time. You're going to be at the top of the game, you know, as long as you graduate from here. Like, uh, unfortunately, you know, that's true for some, it's definitely not true for all. Um, but I think if I could, uh, I would just be keen on, on how eager I am 
um, and how patient I am. And I think there's a, a great balancing act between the, between the two of them. Cause I think you need to be eager enough to know uh, when you've gotten everything you can out of a position and it's time to move on and, and make a jump somewhere else. And then I think it's also important to stay patient and know when you're learning behind someone and, you know, take on what you're, what you need to be taking on in that moment to then be able to make the, the jump to whatever that next level is you want to get to. And yeah, and that I'm all with, ties. Sorry, go ahead. Give me a no, go ahead. <laughs> um, with all of that, something that I try and make sure my kids understand. Again, I, I tell everybody this: ninety percent of my students aren't going to go into turf. You know, we have over two hundred kids in our program, uh, and we don't force anyone any which way. You know, with everything, it is very much an industry where there is growth to be made. You know. Um, with your career being at, again, the two separate places, I was sort of like that in Pittsburgh. I worked for the Pirates and Steelers. Um, no benefits and everything, but in that moment, that was getting you ready for a position where you could make that leap again to where you're at now. Um, but with everything, you're going to have to put in the time. You're going to have to put in the years. You're going to have to put in the hours. You know, it's, it's something that you definitely have to earn. But if we're talking about any other industry, you're not an engineer coming out of college and making six figures on your first job. Maybe there's room to grow and whatnot, but you're not the head guy for 20 years, you know, or you're yeah. owning your own company or something along those lines. Like there's less room for growth and less opportunity. Because my big thing with yeah. everything you were saying, there's only 32 MLB teams. There's only X amount of NFL teams. You're not going to be the head person if there's nobody leaving their jobs, yeah. you know? So yeah. yeah, there's only only so many facilities. And then as soon as one of those jobs opens, it, it's competitive to, it's, to try. It's 30 people, you know, which congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome that you got your, your, your due there, you know? Um, but again, I couldn't agree with you more. It's just with this industry, there's just great opportunity for growth. Sam actually is very interested in becoming, uh, working on a sod farm uh, before he, really jumps into it 100% just to see what he wants and sort of, again, we don't want to force anyone into anything they don't want to do. He just wants to make sure yeah. he's sure before he starts paying for college on certain things, you know, and yeah. my well, it's like both of you were, it's like Sorry, both of you were saying experience is just so valuable and I'm not against the school, but I want to go get some experience and then do school while doing getting more experience. Yeah. I mean, look, it, like, you know, it's similar to working with, with bosses, any job you do, you know, I knew I didn't want to work at a grocery store for the rest of my life, but I didn't know that until I went and I worked at a grocery store. Right. Um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of important to, to do things and try things and say, you know, yeah, this is for me or no, this isn't for me. Um, and that's the same thing that, that I've taken. That's the same mindset that I take in every interview I've ever been in. It's the same thing I do every time I interview someone, you know, as much as you may want this job, like, this job needs to be right for you at the same time. So it's not a one-way thing. Um, and it, it's tough now, you know, and, and I was one of those guys, I'm still paying off my student loans, you know, to, you know, luckily I'm in the, I'm in the job market that I, I went to school for. So I, I don't have any like negative feelings towards going to school for it, but had I left the industry after a year or two, I mean, I may feel different and say, yeah, you know what? I wasted money on a, on a turf degree and I'm working in, you know, computer design or something, you know, who knows, but um, it's, you know, it's definitely a hard decision to make to then invest all that money in school and try and plan out the next 30, 40, 50 years of, of work. You know, I don't know how people go to school and get a very specific degree 
without working in the industry. And then they realize they go into it and get a job. They realize it's not what they want to do, but they already have the student debt and that's what they know. Yeah. Sadly, there's probably a a vast majority that is that, um, you know, I I guess I kind of got lucky. You know, I, I, I joke, I joke around and, uh, tell my wife that, you know, I've got two young boys and I tell her, you know, they better not grow up to be groundskeepers. I hope they're smarter than me. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, it is a good profession. There's, there's a lot of good opportunity that comes from it. Um, it's not the industry that is going to make millionaires necessarily. There, there may be a few, um, but that's not necessarily why we get into it. I think most of the guys would agree that, that we do this because we, enjoy it um, because we all have a certain level of OCD that, that other people don't have because we, you know, we don't want a single blade of grass or a single speck of paint to be out of, out of place. Um, but, you know, again, it's, it's a more of a passion job than it is a, you know, pursuit of money type job. And, and uh, if you ever break down your, you know, your pay per hour, especially once you're a salaried individual like myself, uh, it's, it's, you know, don't do it. <laughs> you don't want to do the math. Don't do it. <laughs> you don't want to do that math. All right. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> Sam and I are getting confused on each other. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. Um, with everything, um, again, we are a high school program and sort of, we always ask this question because again, we have students who listen to this, um, what would be your best words of advice for them? Uh, whether it's entering this industry or just life, you know, we are coming up on a half uh, quarter mark into our school year. Our seniors are going to be gone here in three quarters of a school year. So what would be your best words of advice and uh, why? Um, you know, for me, uh, it's crazy. Cause like I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, I was kind of the I hate to call it the stereotypical high school kid, but you know, I, I wasn't looking forward to another four years of college. Um, I was like, man, I've just done 12 years of school as if like those first few years are difficult kindergarten and, and first grade. You know, I'm like, I just did 12 years of school. You remember those days, you know, that'd be impressive, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I was like, you know, how am I going to do another two years to get my associate's degree? Then how am I going to do four years to get my bachelor's degree? Or how are people going to do, you know, six or eight years to do master's degree? Um, it's funny because since I've graduated school and gotten out into the working world, I've never been hungrier to, to learn more. Um, and not necessarily about, um, you know, what I, what I went to school for. And don't get me wrong. I still do a lot of, uh, researching. I still, you know, guys like Chase Straw, you know, anytime they're putting up, putting up things, you know, I'm usually one of the first guys reading them. Cause you know, I, I do feel it's important to educate myself in the, the job I'm working in, but I think, um, just, the advice is to just always be open to learning. Um, and, and you, you kind of have to do it yourself, right? Uh, I spend a lot of time in my, in my truck driving to and from work. So I, I pound through a lot of podcasts and I, I get through a lot of audiobooks. Uh, and they're never, they're never fiction. It's always self-development, finance, business, uh, memoirs to find out how, you know, great minds once did something. Um, there's always an opportunity to learn. Uh, and I think, like I said earlier, you can, learn from so many people in, you know, instances that have nothing to do with you um, or nothing to do with your life. Someone can live such a a vastly different life than the one you live. And and there's still lessons to be learned from those people. Um, I think the more you learn, you know, the better off you're going to be, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your personal life relationships uh, or, or whatever it is, you know, I think you'll be better off for it. So I would just 
try and stress, you know, keep, keep your mind open to, to learning more. I know it's hard to think that way when you're having to, you know, guzzle down textbooks and, and take tests and exams and stuff like that through, through high school and through college. But um, it, it really does never stop. And that's, that's really, I mean, I credit my growth uh, success um, at a, 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 you know, like you said, a relatively younger, younger age than, than many um, to just my, my hunger to, to learn more and, and take on and never steer away from the challenge. So I actually got two questions for you. They're completely different. So I'll just ask one at a time. Um, so at a very highly maintained professional artificial turf field like you are at, that involves all the specialized equipment and like the, still all the staff to maintain and paint it and all that. And you have a lot of events there too. At that level, is it any cheaper to go artificial turf? Because I know a lot of high schools want to do that just so they don't have to maintain it and pay for that. The mowers and the time it takes to maintain it and fertilizer. But at the high level, are there any fiscal benefits to that? Uh, this is a very site specific question. Um, it's, it's definitely not a a general broadcasted answer. Um, at the NFL level, you know, honestly, money's, money's not a concern at our, at our level, right? We're going to do what we feel is best for our business model. If I wanted to, to make an argument for which one's more fiscally responsible at the NFL level, um, there's, in my opinion, no doubt that the synthetic, field is a better option from a budget standpoint. Now, there's a lot of arguments that would say that due to injury rates potentially being higher on a synthetic field, you need to look at player investments and understand what potential loss could be. Um, From a building side, you start to get into what are potential revenue losses. Um, You know, I'm being able to have Monster Jam and concerts and two sports uh, and then some and never have to touch a piece of sod. you know, so it, it kind of goes back and forth. Um, there's, I, I wish I could answer it a little bit more straight up. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to stay a little bit more politically correct because every single site is so different. Um, there's a lot of corporate sponsorships that go into synthetic fields. Um, you know, thick cut land play sod is, is really expensive per square foot. Um, at the high school level, there's probably a lot of high schools that it, it does make sense to go synthetic. Um, but there's also probably a lot of fake uh, sales tactics that are being thrown at these high schools too, to say, uh, you're going to save all this money when in reality, they could probably just invest a little bit of money into their natural field and and have a good, a good surface. Um, it's, it's really a toss up. I I think it just depends on on where you are, what you're trying to use your field for, what the expectations are of the field owner, uh, or County or school or business owner, um, and just what the business model is. Yeah, every site's different. And also, I didn't think about the fact that at that level, they have the money, so it doesn't matter as much. As we're kind of coming to the end here, what are your future aspirations in the industry and for your career as well? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Keep growing. Keep growing in some way. Uh, For me, I I don't do well with complacency. Um, I wish I could sit here and and tell you that I'm the guy who's going to be here for the next 30 years and uh, and, you know, ride off into the abyss as the longtime head groundskeeper Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, you know, I just had the pleasure of working with, with Wayne Ward out in London. He's the longtime uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers groundskeeper at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, shout out to him. He's going into retirement this April. 
after I think it's like 30, 35 years or something crazy like that. Uh, I tip my cap to those guys, uh, the Dave Mellers of the world uh, at, at the Red Sox who have been there for ages. Um, you know, maybe I'll be here at the stadium in some capacity. I don't know that I'll be a, the, the longtime head groundskeeper here. Uh, my aspirations are kind of always what's next uh, for me. And, and it was uh, it was become a head groundskeeper at a major league facility in one of the, the you know major sports. Uh, I've achieved that. I'm, I'm kind of riding that wave. I've taken on some scopes of work since I've been here. Um, the conversions aspect, I, I oversee all of our shipping and, and uh, receiving at our dock. I oversee all of our fleet maintenance and, and building. Hang on. Sorry. One sec, guys. Open with that with my own employers. I think transparency is important. Um, for me, I'm, I'm just the kind of guy that wants continued growth. Uh, I want to take on more responsibilities. I want to take on new challenges. Um, and, and maybe that's just being challenged more at, at my current role, uh, right? And it's seeing how many more events we can push and how much better our surface can be. You know, maybe maybe the next challenge is can I swap out for a natural grass surface here and have some sort of tray system that lives outside and comes inside the building. Um, you know, we're always kind of trying to figure out what's what's next in that capacity. But uh, the reality is I'm a guy who's eventually going to want to keep growing in some capacity. Um, maybe it's here at the stadium. Maybe it's a, an operation, a larger operations role. Um, maybe it's expansion of, of, of our turf division here at the stadium. Um, you know, you never really know until you just kind of keep, keep plunging forward. So every day I, I just try to say, you know, how can we get better at what we're doing now and then look for opportunity. I create opportunity and then, uh, you know, create value and, and go from there. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. This was fantastic, uh, especially again with such a, a broad area of what our industry has to like offer that no one really looks at when it comes to again operations and everything that goes into again what is the Falcons and uh, Atlanta FC. You know, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a phenomenal time. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me. Apologies. So people are going to, I don't know if they'll watch this as like a, a YouTube stream or if they'll just listen and then hear our pauses. Uh, one, just, I want to touch on it. One of the big things here at Mercedes Benz Stadium is our, our sustainability. So everything we do is like go green, right? We're a lead platinum facility. We are the first lead platinum sports facility. Uh, I want to say globally, definitely in the U S um, so everything we do, so every single room in the building has, you know, occupancy or vacancy sensors. So if I sit in here and talk long enough, if I'm not up doing jumping jacks, eventually the lights go <laughs> off. Uh, I can't tell you how many meetings, especially now in this, this, you know, we're kind of getting out of this virtual world a little bit, but I still have a lot of like Zoom and Teams meetings and I'll be sitting there in a conference room like I'm in now and all of a sudden it just goes dark. You just like... Like, oh, hold on. Yeah, you're- <laughs> Somebody! <laughs> you know, you're waving your arms, trying to trying to get the lights to kick back on. Like it's, the sweet um, spot's like right over here, right over here. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's, it's cool to be a part of that. It's just another one of those facility features that, uh, you know, I've gotten to open my eyes to. You know, we're, we're constantly pushing the zero waste uh, directive here at the stadium. And, and basically that's making sure that at least 90% of any waste generated doesn't go to landfill whether it's compostable, recyclable, um, all those things. So those are some of the big initiatives that our ownership has here that we're constantly putting efforts into. And, um, you know, that, that keeps me constantly researching. How can I, you know, people look at me and they're like, well, you're getting rid of a, a, a plastic field every two years. How can you call yourself green? How can you call yourself a, a green facility? And, um, you know, we're constantly researching and I'm constantly working with our manufacturer to say, look, how can we, 
how can we figure out how to, how to recycle this? You know, how can we get somewhere that wants to separate the polyethylene from the polypropylene and, and be able to recycle this field? And how can we shake out our crumb rubber and sieve out our sand? Um, you know, it's just, it's like I was saying, it's one of those challenges as a groundskeeper that, uh, hurdle we got to overcome and, and we need to get better about it. And it's things that we're working on here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I have a real quick with recycling question. Oh so yeah. the drains underneath the field, does <laughs> so the drains underneath the field, are you reusing that water to like spray it out? So specifically the drains under the field aren't connected to that system, but we do have, so I have a 600,000 gallon cistern uh, rainwater um system. So it's basically a big tank that catches rainwater and runoff water. And then that's how I irrigate all of my exterior uh, landscape and, and grass. So I am on fully reclaimed water. Um, like I said, we've got 600,000 gallons. And then to make sure that I don't switch to domestic water, um, I actually have two wells that I can trigger on to turn on to refill our cistern in the event we go through a dry spell where we don't have rainwater. So um, yeah, awesome question. Definitely one uh, it's definitely a highlight of ours here at the stadium for, for exterior use. Uh, it goes towards our green initiative. Um, and it's uh, kind of a cool feature. Sounds like we need to have like a podcast just on the, the eco friendliness of the stadium. You know, that's awesome. I love, yeah, I love all yeah. the different aspects that go into it. Cause again, with everything, uh, I think it was a couple different companies. They just released electronic or battery powered, like commercial grade mowers that are coming yeah. out this year. I'm like, Wait, how do we get to this point where everything's like this now? You know, like yeah, it's it's yeah. moving way we're, faster. We're going in that direction. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, it, like I said, it's it's the innovation, right? And it's innovation around everything. We see it in cars. You know, I, I think we're a ways away from fully electric cars everywhere. Um, but I mean, you know, you got you got a few models out there that have, have figured it out, and I think the others are going to start to follow behind it. And um, you know, we're a stadium that, you know, I do have a, a Greenworks battery powered walk behind mower and, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, ways that we can, we can go in that direction too. Absolutely. And I think California just banned all like lawn care. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're moving way faster than we are. I thought we were. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was well, like, it'll, you know, some of that legislation's hard uh, on, on people, but it'll help push the manufacturers. I mean, realistically, these, these big companies and manufacturers are the ones that are going to be able to drive some of these changes. Um, that's why I always go back and I, you know, battle with, with our field turf manufacturer to say, Hey, you know, what can we do better to, to recycle? And, and the thing is they're usually calling me before I'm calling them saying, Hey, we want to try this to, to recycle it, or, Hey, we want to take your field and pelletize it and recreate benches or recreate this or that out of it. Um, so, you know, you know, cheers to them for, for trying to do the right thing. Uh, I know that's a, a sticking negative point on, on the synthetic fields. And, um, you know, there's only one way that it's going to get better. And that's if we continue to push those manufacturers to, to want to get better. Absolutely. That's, that's incredible. You know, you got to push the envelope with them, especially with you being again with the Falcons, you know, they're not going to listen to a high school saying, Hey, what the heck's going on? You know, <laughs> like, um, yeah, so. well, you know what? It, it, it takes every voice too at the same time. And absolutely. It, yeah. You know, a, a podcast like this, you know, you guys getting out there and, and talking to individuals across the nation about, you know, what they're doing and what they're seeing. Um, it helps spread the message. It helps spread the word and it, you know, it's all, it's all good things. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on today. It's been a blast. 
Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys reaching. I know we've been trying to link this up for a little bit, so I appreciate <laughs> your patience while I was over Any, the pond. And, uh, anytime, you know. Yeah. So.